so for today, though, we do want to press into um, just trying to remember the body that was broken, the blood that was poured out of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And we're going to do that from Romans chapter 8. So if you do have a Bible, you can follow along there. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, the text will be printed on the wall. Uh, we would be glad to, like I said, help you uh, to get a Bible for you um, after, uh, if you'll talk to me after the service today. Um, so I want to share a thought with you. We're going to call the big if. All right, this is called the big if. And there are a lot of if statements, not what if statements, but a lot of if statements that you and I have probably heard and probably used in our life. And some of these may sound real big. Um, and maybe you've got some you can share with me here in just a moment. But just to get you kind of started on where we're headed here, let me share one with you. You can probably finish this one. All right? If at first you don't succeed, try, try again. So there's an if statement. Okay? Uh, feel free to interact with me here. Is there an if statement that just popped into your mind like when you heard that one? Not yet? If you don't have anything nice to say, then don't say anything else, okay? I've got one kind of in line with that here in just a minute. Let me give you a few more and see if this can stir your mind a little bit. And some of these are um, true. Some of these are true and funny. Some of these are true and kind of ouch. Um, but you'd be the, the judge of these, all right? So here's one. If you mess with the big sister, then there's always a younger, crazier sister behind her that you don't want to mess with. All right, so that can be an if statement in your life. I'm, I'm, a, I'm not a sister. I'm a brother, and that's proven to be true in my life uh, more, more times than uh, we have time to talk about. Uh, if you think you're too small to have an impact, try going to sleep with a mosquito in the room. It's about impossible, right? If you know there's one in there, you'll spend however long it takes to make sure it gets out of your room. When we were in Haiti this past fall, slept in long pants and had my socks pulled up over the bottom of my pants. I mean, just like tucked in because I mean, you don't want malaria, right? So, I mean, we're under mosquito nets. So I know the feeling of just laying there and watching these things fly around and not being able to sleep. So if you think you can't have an impact, just think about that. All right, you might want to write this one down. Guys, somewhere this may benefit you in the future. If I had a flower for every time I thought of you, I could walk in my garden forever. Isn't that just sweet? Just melts your heart, doesn't it? Do I need to say it again slower, right? You might want to write that one down. Okay. Uh, if you're not taking care of your customer, your, your competitor will. Sounds pretty true, right? And we've probably been in a situation where we may have changed uh, those who've been serving us. If you hang out with chickens, you're going to cluck, but if you hang out with eagles, you're going to fly. Lots of applications you can make there. If you're too busy to laugh, you are too busy. It's a pretty good if statement. Here's one to think about. If you want to know where your heart is, look at where your mind goes when it wanders. If you want to know where your heart is, look at where your mind goes when it wanders. If you want something you've never had, you must be willing to do something you've never done. I believe that was Thomas Jefferson. Here's one. Let's see if you agree or not. If you disagree with me, it's okay. I cannot force you to be right. <laughs> so we may live that way sometimes. If you're not willing to learn, no one can help you. But if you're determined to learn, no one can stop you. I thought that was pretty good. 
Now, to the point here of Miss Penn, if you cannot think of anything nice to say, this says you're not thinking hard enough. <laughs> if you really want to do something, you will find a way. And if not, you will always find an excuse. If you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. Here's a good one. If you're tired of starting over, stop giving up. And the last one I've got for you is this. If you tell the truth, you don't have to remember anything. True? Yeah. We've probably told enough fish stories or lies in our day to have been caught somewhere where we just realized, you know, it's better to get in trouble and just tell the truth, right, than try to remember what I have said that's not been true. So these are some if statements, and some people live their lives by these. Um, and some of these are, would be good to follow. It's not bad advice, but they're not the real big if that we're going to talk about today. So in Romans 8, we're going to find a guy named Paul who's going to try to encourage a group of Christians, including you and I today, with a big if statement. And listen, this may be the biggest if statement that's ever been recorded. Romans 8, 31 and 32 carries, if not the greatest promise, it's way up there with one of the greatest promises that God has ever offered because it's so far reaching. It covers everything, and we'll talk about that here for a few moments this morning. Uh, so some things that Paul has said already here in chapter 8, he said that people who have faith in Jesus Christ, that is, they believe in him as their Savior, they've asked him to forgive them of their sins, uh, the Bible says you and I are no longer condemned. So we're no longer guilty. Our shame is removed. Our guilt is gone. We may still have some regret over things that we've done, but from God's perspective, he sees us as forgiven and pure and holy for those who are in Christ. And so he's writing that in the beginning of chapter 8. He says, when you put your faith in Christ, you became adopted into the family of God. So you're not an outsider. So you may feel like, I don't really know where I belong or I don't fit anywhere. Well, if you're a Christian, you fit in the family of God and you'll be there forever. Uh, and so being connected here hopefully will be just a, a small expression of what that will look like in eternity. Paul goes on to say that God has given you his spirit. So for those who believe, his spirit lives within us, right, to transform us and to remind us of things that are true. Uh, and so partly he's reminding them of this because he says, listen, you're going to battle some weakness. Anybody feel weak? Anybody have a weakness? Yeah, we battle things in our life probably that we wish we didn't battle. We would probably not write the script of our life the way that it has went. Right? If we could change our story, we could. But there's just some things that we cannot change. And Paul knew that. And he said, you're going to find yourself weak. He said, you're going to find yourself groaning. You ever groan? Ugh. Grown out of anger. Grown out of just discouragement or brokenness. Grown out of frustration. He says, you're going to find yourself frustrated. All this is leading right up to what we're about to read. And he says, you're also going to find yourself suffering. And you're going to wonder this. How in the world could a good God allow something like this to happen in my life? And what good could possibly come from these things? And what Paul's going to say is God can take that thing that seems bad and is bad, and he can work that for good. And there are many stories in the Bible that help back that up. Let's support that. You and I have probably got stories in our own life where we said, I would not have learned this about God had I not went through that hardship. Though I would not have planned it as I persevered, right? We read it this morning. 
When we persevere, it builds our character, and where there's character, there's hope, and that hope is in Christ, and it doesn't disappoint us. And so even though it was hard, we've went through it, and it's worked out for our good. There's been some benefit to the struggle, and the ultimate good is that God is glorified in that. So he's trying to encourage these Romans, and I pray this encourages us here today. We're going to work through just a few different thoughts out of Romans 8, 31 to 39, and leading this all to be mindful of a broken body of Christ and the blood that was poured out as we'll end our service today around the table, uh, taking communion together. So follow along with me here this morning, and we'll be, again, starting in verse 39. So everything that we just talked about, right, the groaning, the suffering, the weakness, the struggle, um, being adopted, having the Spirit of God, all those things is what he's referencing right here. What then shall we say in response to these things, those things that we just mentioned? Well, here's what we can say about it. If God is for us, who can be against us? That's a pretty good if statement, right? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? And so who will bring any charge against them, those whom God has chosen? It's God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, and more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness, danger or sword? As it's written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Okay, and so he's going to make a big if statement. If God is for us, how does it go? Who can be against us? He then gives three kind of sub-questions or statements to that as a fulfillment or to bring understanding to verse 32, the giving us all things. And so we'll work through that here this morning as we think about this big if statement out of Romans chapter 8, verse 31. Uh, so as always, if you'd like to track on your bulletin, you can. Feel free to write that up. That's yours. You don't have to use that at all. We just want to provide that if... Uh, if you're a learner that way who learns as you write, I am that way. Maybe that's beneficial for you. Okay, so let's start here initially. The God who is for us, what Paul wrote, is the God who gave up his son to save us. The God who's for us is the God who gave up his son to save us. Now, if you and I were put in the same situation as God, do you think we would respond the same way? And let's, let's kind of talk about the situation. You've got people who have a sin problem, who can't cure their sin problem, and the only way to cure their sin problem is to give your child to die for them. Would any of us in this room willingly give up our child to die for other people? We shake our head, no. Yeah, we say probably not. Like, that's, that's, a, hard, that's a hard concept. If our child was sinless and innocent... Do you think we could find any reason to give them up for people who were sinful and deserving of death? No, I think that would be hard. We'd be hard-pressed to do that. 
Now, I understand what the Bible says, and we sing about it this morning, right? How deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond what? All measure. You know what that means? I can't understand it. Right? It reaches places that I just don't understand. It goes further than I can comprehend. It doesn't mean that I'm not fully loved by God. It just means I can't fully understand how I'm loved by God. Because if I'm in his shoes, I don't give any of my daughters for any of you. So I don't know what kind of love. I don't fully understand or comprehend that yet. What drives a God who is holy and perfect to give his son for people who are not. But the truth of the matter is he did, right? We just read this in verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but he gave him up for us all. This is God the Father giving the son Jesus. Now, why did God have to give the son? What are you and I? We are sinful people. All people have sinned and fallen short of God's glory is what Paul wrote elsewhere in Romans, right? Uh, God's a holy God, and as such, he cannot be in relationship with sin. So you can't have purity and sinfulness in relationship together. They just won't work. And so this is why God gave up his son. Uh, but God cannot be in relationship with anybody who is less than perfect. So let's think about this for a minute before we move on from this point here. Some people say that we cannot satisfy God's justice apart from Jesus Christ. Now, this isn't a trick statement, but I think when you and I think this out, we'll understand it. Do you think that we can satisfy God's justice apart from Jesus? That's initially what I thought as well. No, we can't. But God's justice, his justice says this, for the wages of sin is death. When sinful people are punished because our sin deserves death, when you and I spend eternity in hell separated from God, God's justice is what? It's satisfied. Now, he's not just a just God, right? He's entirely just, and he would be entirely unjust if he had never designed a way or planned a way for us to be made right with him. Holy God, sinful people. Sinful people always separated from a holy God. So if he never sent Christ, sending us to hell would satisfy his justice. And if God had left us there, that would have been a, a miserable place to be. Can you imagine knowing that God exists, that there is a heaven that could be gained if only we could be perfect, knowing that we never could be perfect? How miserable. I mean, that's like a, a mental hell on earth, just knowing we could never earn, never get to a place where we could gain or achieve what it is that God had created for those who could be perfect. So we could satisfy the holy justice of God by spending forever apart from him where we would deserve to be in the place the Bible calls hell. Now, anybody want to spend eternity in hell? No takers? No. It was interesting last night. I was watching some of the commentating after a basketball game. They had about 30 or 45 seconds. Uh, there's a team, Loyola Chicago. They have the sister and she's kind of the face right now of their program. She's 98 years old, and after the game, they've been interviewing her, and how has this team been able to do so well? And uh, just very, uh, very well-spoken. I mean, just 
She's a, a joy to listen to. But one of the commentators said, hey, listen, when she comes to speak to you, you better make sure she lays her hands on you because you need it. And so they start this whole heaven-hell conversation on um, Channel 4, right? Is that ABC? CBS. And I'm just taking this in like for 45 seconds because one guy's saying, hey, and he's saying it in a way that he means it. He says, you know, you got to get your ticket punched if you want to spend, if, you, if you're going to make it to heaven, you got to get your ticket punched, right? Now, that's probably within the approval of his contract to say such a thing, how he worded that. And then another one says, no, I know where you're going. It's going to be hot where you're going. And then another one said, well, I want to go where my friends are going. He's like, yeah, but your friends are not going where you want to be for eternity. So there's this whole kind of God conversation taking place here around heaven and hell. I thought it was really intriguing that millions of people are watching and listening to this on, on TV. But nonetheless, no one wants to spend eternity in hell. So did God provide a way because we said to him, listen, we don't want to go to hell? Did we change his mind? No. So just because we say, I don't want to spend eternity in hell, doesn't mean all of a sudden God changed his mind is going to create a different path for us. He did that long before uh, we ever had any desire his direction. So if God had not desired another way, he would not have designed another way. But the truth is, what the text tells us is that he did not only desire that it would be different, but he designed the way or he gave up his son for all. And in so doing, those who have faith in him are then made perfect. So then there can be a relationship between a holy God and a forgiven sinner. All right, somebody who has been looked at as perfect through Jesus Christ. And so God was not willing for that to exist. So we call that propitiation. That's the good Bible word, right? So in propitiation, you've got this, the justice of God being satisfied. Payment for sin is, is done in Jesus. But you've also got grace extended to reconcile people who've been sinful, okay? So he's not just a just God, although he's entirely just. He's also this God who extends grace and mercy, as we've read and sung about here this morning. Peter wrote about it, and he said it this way. God's not willing that any should perish, right? But that everyone have an opportunity to come to repentance. All come to repentance is his idea there. John wrote about it and said that God loved the world so much that he gave his son so that whoever believes won't perish, but can have eternal life. You know, and then Isaiah wrote and said, it pleased the Father to bruise the Son. That's a love that I just, I understand what it says biblically, I understand what it means biblically, but to have a desire as a father to watch my children be bruised and find pleasure in that is just a love that I just can't fully understand yet. And yet that is how he has loved you, that is how he has loved me. So God has been purposed, he's been gracious in the giving of his son to save us. And so this is the God who is for you, right? None of us would give our children for one another, but God the Father gave his only son for all of us. This is the God who is for you, and he's done that for us so that we might have relationship initially with him, all right? Secondly here, this God who's for us has given us this all-encompassing promise, and this is that promise that I mentioned earlier, this all-encompassing promise of future grace that's in verse 32. It's not the best. It's one of the best. And all God's promises are amazing. Don't misunderstand me. It's not like one is better than the other, but this one just covers everything. It doesn't exclude anything. Any second of our life is covered here. 
So what if I told you this morning you never had any reason to fear anymore? Would you be willing to listen to that? I think that's a good lead-in for people that don't believe in Jesus. What if I could say something to you that would give you confidence you never had to fear again? Oh, I'll listen to that. You know, you get those phone calls sometimes that say, hey, can I have two minutes of your time and we'll give you a cruise or we'll give you a trip, you know, two nights and three days at this location if you'll just take our survey. So sometimes we're willing to listen to that for what we get in return. I think if we could tell people your fear can be removed if you just give us a few minutes, that's a good lead-in. What about worry? If I could say to you, you never have to worry again, would you want to hear why that's true? You know, somebody whose heart is often drawn to be fearful. I could go along and say, yeah, I'd like to hear at least what you have to say about fear and worry. What if I told you today you never had any reason to doubt again? No reason to doubt, no reason to fear, no reason to worry, no reason to ever struggle with temptation. It doesn't mean temptation doesn't come anymore. It just means when you can look it in the eye and say, I win, I conquer you, you're not going to have any part in my life right now. I think we would be willing to, to have those conversations. Well, all this is true here. Let's go back to it because of verse 32. So Paul writes and says this, He who did not spare his own son, God gave the son Jesus, but he gave him up for us all. How will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? You notice the connection here? What does this promise hinge on? Graciously giving us all things. It hinges on the first part of that verse. Did God give up his son for us all? Yes, he did. If he did that, then he will graciously give us all things. There's not a, a question mark there as far as will he do it. It's all built on did he give his son. If God is for me, who can be against me? And this is one of the ways this is being fleshed out here in the thinking or the mind of Paul inspired by the Spirit of God. So to say it simply, we could say it this way. If God gave the best, then he will surely give the rest. If God gave the best, then he surely will give the rest. Just think of it this way, all right? Let's say God offered us a steak dinner. Would you take that for lunch today? We'd probably take that or our favorite dinner of whatever our choice is. See, God not doing what he said he's going to do here would be like saying, I'm going to give you a steak dinner, but you can't have the hot dog. How many of us would be really bummed about that? Oh. It's like saying, I'll give you a billion dollars. We could probably attract a few people next Sunday if we advertised we're giving away a billion dollars to every person who comes in the building. You think we could fill the room that way? For one Sunday, all right, and knowing that we don't have that kind of cash, right, I wouldn't come back either. If you're trying... If, I'm not for the gimmick stuff, right? The, the Word of God, the Gospel, the Holy Spirit is powerful. He doesn't need my gimmick to try to win somebody's mind. But if we could say literally to people, I'll give you a billion dollars, but you can't have this quarter in my pocket, would you be okay with that? Or would you just throw your billion down and walk out next Sunday? Well, if I can't have it all, I don't want any. 
No, we wouldn't do that, right? Or it's like, I'm going to buy you a new car, and God's going to give you a new car, but you can't have the skateboard. I don't think that would break our hearts. So all I'm doing is comparing what's happening here. God gave the best that he possibly could when he gave his son for all. What he says is, why in the world would he spare the rest, things that are less? If he already gave the best, if he already did that, his promise is, then I will give you, I'll give you the rest. Now, what does that look like? Uh, a friend I had a conversation with here this past week had visited local church, and he said, Corey, I've got to talk to you about something here. He said, There's, as they were receiving the offering, this is what they read. And basically it says this, that as we give, we believe that better jobs are coming our direction because we're giving, and better health is coming, and the promotion that was somebody else's will be ours this week. And it's just this list of maybe 15 or 20 things of how because of their giving, all this prosperity is going to come as the result. He said that as they give, they stood there, it's memorized, and they quoted it as a church body. So when Paul wrote and said that God will graciously give us all things, can we declare that this morning? Is that what he is teaching? Is God going to give me the promotion? Is he going to take care of my health where I'm never sick again? Is he going to give me the million-dollar home, all the cars and clothes and jewelry, everything I want? No, listen, in the context of what Paul says here, he's talking about suffering. As you suffer, he will give you all things. Remember those words we talked about earlier? Weakness, groaning, frustration, suffering. Right? That just doesn't, that doesn't jive with Scripture. That God's going to, because I give, he's, he's required to bless me beyond uh, what his word has told me. And so what does it mean? What does it mean that he will give me all things? You know, that verse 28 told us, we know that in all things, God's going to work together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Right? Those who are walking in his ways, those who are following what he's doing, he's, he's a part of those things. He's not looking to bless us in ways that are selfish or that don't work to fulfill his mission. And so here's some scriptures that the psalmist wrote about from Psalm 34. The lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. All right? Those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. We're going to see it also in Psalm 84. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is Blameless, And so here again, it's in this pursuit of God that he supplies what is needed, right, for his purposes, for our good and his purposes. Uh, in Matthew chapter 6, you'll remember Jesus talking about people chasing clothes and chasing money and being worried about what they don't have. And he said, don't worry about those things. The pagans run after all those things. But your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Knowing that we need them, what does he do? Well, for those who seek his kingdom first and his righteousness, all these things then will be given to you as well. So the all things here that Paul's talking about is not like some great abundance where we are overflowing with all the promotions and we never have any sickness and all these things that I listed earlier. Anything that is necessary for you and I to walk in the ways of God to accomplish his purposes, he will supply that need. Right? He will supply that need. 
He will supply that need. That's his promise uh, according to Romans 8.32. So you never have to find yourself in a situation where you are afraid, where you are worried, where you doubt, right, or where you have to face temptation on your own because he said, I will give you all things. And so whatever we need to face those things, you can be assured that they will be given just as you're assured that he gave the Son to save us. And then third here, the big if tells us that if God is for us, there's going to give us some confidence. And that confidence is rooted in Jesus Christ that we do and we will overcome. Now here again, overcoming does not mean everything goes our way. Right? That word overcome means that I'm going to face some things that are obstacles, that are struggle. There's going to be hardship. Right? How is my character built as I persevere through suffering? And it's through the development of my character that my hope is built. And that's been poured out in me through the love of Christ. And it doesn't disappoint me. So my confidence is not in my situation or my circumstances. My confidence is in Christ. That is, he overcame, I can overcome as well. So it doesn't mean nothing bad ever happens. It means at all times, in all ways, that God can give what's necessary, cause that to flow our direction, to supply our good, and to accomplish his glory. And all that's tied to that big if statement. So what then shall we say in response to these things? If, if God is for us, then who can be against us? And so the three sub-questions then real quickly are these. You can answer if you'd like. Who can bring a charge against us? Paul wrote and said, no one. You know why? Because it's God who justifies. So no one can undo what God has done. When God causes you and I, or when he looks at us as though we've never sinned, no one can come along and say, but they're still a sinner. God says, in my eyes, they're perfect. And so we are justified in him. No one can undo that. Who can condemn us? Who can accuse us? What's the answer? No one. You know why? Because Jesus wasn't just given to die, but he was also resurrected. And he wasn't just resurrected, but then he did what? He ascended, and where is he? All right, he's at the right hand of God the Father. He sits there as somebody that has all authority. So when our adversary or anybody comes before God and says, you won't believe what I saw this person doing, Jesus is like, no, 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 you don't understand. They're forgiven. Right? That's my son, that's my daughter, their sin's been paid for. Father, they're forgiven. Next. Well, but I, I saw their thought life. Yeah, but you don't understand. They're forgiven. Next. Oh, but you didn't see how they treated this person. I, okay, Father, they're forgiven. Next. You have an advocate in Jesus Christ. You have a defense who constantly pleads your cause because you've trusted in Jesus Christ. Okay? So no one can condemn you. Matter of fact, in Romans 8, 1, right, for those who are in Christ Jesus, there is now no condemnation. So no one can condemn you. No one can take away or undo what God has done. And then who shall separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus? Again, the answer is no one. No one or nothing can separate the love that God has towards us through Christ Jesus. And then he goes through and lists all these things. What if somebody persecutes you? Nothing can separate God's love towards you. Right? What if you suffer in by the sword or famine? Nothing can separate you from God's love for you. 
What about things presently in my life? Nothing can separate you from God's love for you. But what about that future thing that might happen? Okay, but nothing can separate you from God's love for you. So here again, it's a no one or it's it's a nothing. So if God is for us, Paul's just basically saying, look in all these ways where people might come against you, but they can't bring about any charge. They cannot condemn. They cannot separate. Now in verse 37, what does he say? In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. So if God is for us, Right? Who can be against us? In Psalm 118, it says, The Lord is on my side. What can man do to me? That's a good verse. We live in a culture and a world where we consistently watch man hurt man. And that can bring about terror, and that can bring about fear, and that can cause us to want to be isolated. And yet what the Scriptures tell us is, why should I fear? Right? Wasn't it Jesus that said, don't fear man that can hurt your body, but fear the one who can kill and destroy both your body and soul in hell? Right? Have a holy, reverent fear for him. Live your life out in, in full pursuit of Christ, knowing that none of these things can come against us. So the answer to all this is nothing. What can life bring against us that we cannot overcome? Nothing. We overcome because he overcame. Uh, and we do that today in the power from the one who loved us, who is Jesus Christ. So regardless of what you and I face, you know what we should have? We should have confidence. I should have confidence, right? If I shouldn't be afraid, worry, doubt, give in to temptation, what should be rooted in me is confidence. Because if God is for me, What? Yeah. In my mind, it's if God is for me, then whatever. It doesn't matter. Do your worst. Bring whatever you want to against me. It doesn't make me some great man. It means you cannot conquer what God has already overcome on my behalf. You cannot undo what he has done for me. See, the one who gave up his son for me has promised that he will give up all things for me. Because it wasn't just about saving me. But it's about protecting me. It's about building me. It's about strengthening me. It's about using me. And all that's for his glory. And that results in my good. So this God who is for us, that's a big if statement. If he is for us, then all these things are true. And we know that to be true today because the God who gave his son watched as the son willingly laid down his life for people like you and I. I was reminding our students this week, the Bible tells us that Jesus was beaten beyond the point of recognition. He was marred to a point where people looked at him and said, I don't know who that man is. I'm not sure who they're beating. He's unrecognizable. And when I think of things like, like that, I just it's a challenge to my faith. You think about him carrying a cross you think about him willingly laying down on that cross and being nailed to that cross and hanging on that cross. Right, it's those things today, the broken body, the blood of Christ, that have purchased for us the promise, the truth of if God is for us. 
The Bible tells us that in Christ, all the promises find their amen. That's their confirmation in him. And this promise is confirmed through a broken body and blood poured out. So if the big if tells us today that God gave us his son to save us, if the big if is to establish and secure confidence within us, if it's to be a promise that we hold on for all things, the answer, the question I really have to ask and answer then is God for me? Is God really for me? And if he is, friend, then all these things are true. How do I know if God is for me? Well, have you confessed your sin? Have you received his son as your savior? Have you acknowledged your need of him? Have you said, be the Lord of my life? And for those who are in Christ, then these promises are as sure as the gift of the son of God.